what's like olivia what's your favorite like season to come up with specials for do you have like a oh, favorite summer i love summer yeah. Just because I feel like everything's not to be like cliche, but I feel like everything's juicier in the summer, you know, like citrus tastes yeah. really good. Watermelon is out and you can just print cash on recipes on watermelon because there's so much yield. Um, you know, summer is a juicy s- time. Let's face it. It is. It's just everything tastes sweeter. <laughs> you know, people are out in droves and. um, yeah, I love, I mean, fall is really fun for me too, because pumpkin and spices and stuff like that, but summer is where it's at in terms of making money for sure. Watermelon sugar, hi, watermelon sugar, You know, and there's hi. so many, there's so many colors too. Like I just did my live this week, just playing around with Pattaya and, and I was like, honestly, this is something we do a lot for summer. But then I was like, gosh, just gorgeous hot pink color. This is something that we should be playing around with for Valentine's day. Um, you know, we tend to think of like strawberries and things like that, but just colors are so fun in the summer. You know, you see a lot of that blue magic blue and hot pinks from Pattaya. What, what do you do with Pattaya? You use your, in your bowls? We have Pattaya bowls and then, um, chef Hank will use it sometimes in, in desserts. That's the only time he'll use the powder mm. chef. Ari, I don't know if you do that too, but it seems to be a little better when he just wants to bring a color out. Like if we do a cake or something like that. He'll add in the pitaya powder to bring out a really nice hot pink. We do love cakes for February, which are these little, they're basically portioned for two, but they're in shapes of hearts. And, um, they're like a raw vegan cheesecake. Really good. Hmm. So yeah, he likes to play with color, but in the front of the house, we use the frozen pitaya, much like the acai. We do it in smoothies too. I was talking with my family this morning. We had a board meeting and, um, we brought up, a lot of juice bars are doing these like donuts, you know, mm-hmm. these gluten-free donuts. Yeah, we do those um, too. Are those are those healthy? I mean, are they super high in calories and like super sweet? <clears throat> we or do a nut-based like... one. I've seen people do a dough-based one, chef. How which ones do you typically like to play with? Oh, um I don't bake. Yeah. <laughs> I do everything. <laughs> oh, that's bake. right. You told me that. Yeah, yeah. but I when I consume, I, I really like those, uh, baked donuts, you know? Yeah. We do the nut based one. So it's really no different Mm. than doing like a protein bite or anything like that. It's just in the shape of a donut. So it's a lot of like chopped almonds, chopped nuts, coconut oil, almond butter, you know, and then some pretty glazes, but we shape them in a rubber mold of a donut. So it's not a Mm. traditional donut where it's like a dough. So it's, ours are really healthy because they're really just more of like a protein nut, you know, bite just shaped like a donut. And then we make them pretty. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of times, um, I walk in a place that's like a healthy cafe or juice bar or something, and they have these desserts or treats or something that like, maybe it's gluten-free or maybe it's, um, nut-based you know, it has almond flour instead of regular flour or something. And I'm like, I don't know if this is actually healthy, though. It's just sort of, it makes you feel good about eating it because you're like, oh, it's like, you know, a gluten-free donut. But if it's still a donut, it's still a donut, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody's eating like 12 of them, though. You know, I think it's just kind of like a treat. Oh, you don't know how I eat yeah. donuts, you know, like when it, 
Okay. I mean, maybe <laughs> no, you bought like 12 of them. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like, like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I don't feel like anybody buys like a 12 pack of vegan donuts and scarfs them down mm. like Krispy Kremes. Yeah. You know, that's so true. is it? It's really just like a treat, but it's healthier than a normal treat. So I mm-hmm. still say it's healthy. I just I think it's more of like how many are you consuming? When I was younger, I my roommate Kavika. Ari, did you ever meet Kavika? Yeah, yeah. He uh-huh. he um he was a competitive fighter, and he would before leading into a fight, he would like be dieting and working out and get super ripped, and then afterwards. He would go and buy two dozen donuts and just like, and those big, you know, desserty donuts with the cake frosting and sprinkles and fruity pebbles and all that stuff. And he would like just over two days just sit and eat twenty four donuts. <laughs> and he would like leave some on the counter, and be like, "Those are for you." I'm like, "Kavika, I don't want those." He's like, "Those are yours. You have to eat those." <laughs> Get them away from me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like I'll have one, but um. All right, let's uh. It's another Friday. This week I did it my way. I made lots of juice, and now I feel a boost. Baby, say oh, it's the way I make. Juice, pressing fruits and roots. This week I did it my way. Baby, say oh, now let's have some fun. There is nothing greater than Friday's nature. What's up, my juice lovers? Welcome to Good Nature Radio. This is your host, Charlie Wetlawfer, joined by the two top. Juice business consultants in the world. I'm coming Chef for you, Ari. Sexner. <laughs> <laughs> number one and number two. My numbers are Ari. growing. <laughs> Who's two? I don't know. Ari, are you worried about there being a flippening someday where maybe Olivia becomes number one? He's know. got tenure on me. On I very much I <laughs> respect <laughs> seniority. I respect seniority. Yeah, I mean... Nah, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ari's like, ah, yeah, but let's be serious. Okay, uh, <laughs> Chef Ari, the author of the best-selling juicing book, The Juicing Companion, Olivia Esquivel, founder and owner of Southern Press Juicery, the award-winning juice bar, and also founder of Wild Crafted Collection. Good Nature Radio is a bi-weekly Friday podcast where the juicing industry comes to get help with starting and growing a juice bar, home-based juice business, or Cold Press Juice Delivery Company. This podcast is brought to you by Good Nature, the world leader in commercial cold press juicers and juice business consulting. 100% family-owned business since it was founded in 1976 by my dad, Dale Wetlaufer. If you'd like to send us a comment by leaving us a voice message to play on the air, we do have one voicemail today to play, head over to goodnature.com slash radio. That's also where you can request a free consultation with our juicing experts and download valuable resources. That's goodnature.com slash radio. Um, all right. Today, we've got a great episode. We're going to be talking a bit about designing the layout of a juice bar, repurposing juice pulp, and um, juice bar supplies and packaging a little bit. So we've got a good episode. I think we can dive right in 
uh, talk about Olivia. You've been working with a lot of clients um, that are opening juice bars or you know leasing new locations and stuff. And um, so something that's been on your mind lately has been sort of like the most important things to think about when laying out the interior of a juice bar. And Ari, I'm sure you have thoughts on this too. Um, so you want to start there, Olivia? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because a lot of times clients will come um, sort of either farther along in the process or they've already engaged an architect um, or they're already making, making modifications to the space. And it's always hard to be the bearer of bad news. But, you know, once you've been in it, you realize there's certain considerations that you need to take in when building a juice bar. Like if I were to rebuild you know, my juice bar in Greenville, South Carolina right now, I would do it totally different than I did. I'd give myself a way bigger back of the house. I have a small back of the house, big front of the house. And, you know, what I know now is you can never have a back of the house too big, right? But um, I could be making more more money out of that shop if I had a bigger back of the house. Um, so, yeah, one thing that I've been noticing lately with clients that are coming to me is that um, they're really focused on the aesthetics of the front of the house. And that's awesome. I mean, you want it to be a beautiful space to build a community where people want to come and stay for hours and maybe have their breakfast and lunch there where they can work independently without feeling like they're, you know, in a, in a squished space. Um, and everything's about the gram now, right? Like everything has to be aesthetically beautiful because that's what's trending and that's not going away. But one thing I'm finding is, you know, as they're working with architects that are very credible people and same for general contractors are, they're not aware of the needs of the business, um, you know, meaning exactly where is the point of sale versus where is the juice refrigerator? Where is, you know, what, what machine are you going to be juicing on now? What machine are you going to be juicing on in the future? Or can you set up ahead of time? Maybe you're not in an X1. Maybe you're starting with M1s and a countertop situation. But, you know, if you're going to be doing construction, I think it's important to to be looking into your future of who you who you might be in the future um, and what needs your layout may have for that. You know, um, you may be going from a small home business to your first brick and mortar and you think, I really don't have a big following. I just want small rent and a small footprint. And I want people to be able to spread out in the front of the house. And you then you dig yourself into this corner of this tiny back of the house um, you know, I, I was speaking to a client the other day who happened to show me her front of the house space and she had the X1 in the front of the house. And I was like, whoa, stop the truck. Like we've got to put that big Bertha in the back. Like that thing is, you know, you do not want clients coming forward, guests coming forward and ordering and listening to the X1. Um, it's just meant to be in the back of the house. It's it's a loud machine and it needs its own space, its own washdown space. Um, I can let, you know, obviously Chef Ari can talk more about that, but those are the things that are coming up is that they're coming to us sort of mid journey. Um, and unfortunately there are some things that were not thought of in the front of the house just because they didn't know better. Um, you know, your juice should be close to your associates so they can talk up the juice, they can sample the juice so they can, um, be taking an order while they're helping somebody else. So there's a lot of considerations to take um, into account when you're building a juice bar, both for front of the house and back of the house. Yeah, I, I think I always recommend doing the menu first, you know, and it's so important for so many different aspects, but especially like the equipment list, you know, having a menu uh, space kind of 
dictates how large of a menu you have. But I mean, even for the front of the house, how amazing would it be for an architect to have a full menu of what they're going to offer and be able to design the front of the house, you know, like where they're going to place everything, knowing what they're going to serve. You know, uh, in terms of the back of the house, I like to keep it as simple as possible. You know, you have your menu already done, you know, or basic outline of what kind of categories you're going to have and about how many in each category. You're going to do toast. You're going to do smoothies. List those out on a Word document and then go slowly through it and think about all the equipment you're going to need. Okay, a smoothie. I'm going to need blenders. What kind of blenders? Am I going to do acai? Will I need to have that pusher in or can I do the silent blender? You know, if I'm just doing smoothies by himself, uh, what do I need next to it? A sink will be great. You know, and just go slowly through that entire list and just write everything down. You're going to see a lot of equipment can be used on multiple stations and we'll kind of start designing the kitchen right there. You know, say you're, your toast will need a sink by your juice station and your smoothie. Maybe you can have your sink right in between them. I, I saw a cool uh, documentary. I don't know if you guys seen it. It's called The Founder, but uh, it's a it's a documentary on McDonald's. Oh, it's it's and, amazing. And it's not really a documentary to, though, is it? It's like a movie. Yeah, I think it's a movie, well, but it's based on real facts. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they got that scene where they they took over the tennis court. And they kind of mapped out mm-hmm. all the size of everything. And then they, they reenacted work in, a, in the kitchen, you know, and kind of figuring out. You know, there's no way to be 100% perfect design. But if you take the actual time to sit down and think about and walk through each step of that process, uh, you'll be light years ahead of not visualizing it or going through the steps. Yeah, another one that comes up all the time, Chef, you know this, is... Um, they're wanting to use the hand sink as the dump sink in the front of the house and mm-hmm. department of health won't allow that. You have to have a separate designated health, uh, excuse me, hand washing mm-hmm. sink. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that's one that I run into all the time that of course, architects are looking at it. They don't realize that food, you know, regulatory, you know, requirement. And so they'll say, oh, you've got a sink in the front of the house. If you need to wash anything out, people need to wash their hands. And then we've got one in the back of the house and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, dude. I'm not going to pass Department of Health clearance here. I need to have a designated hand-washing sink that no food can be going into. So if if you've got that in the front of the house, which is mandatory, and then you've got you know people making smoothies and bowls in the front of the house, where are they going to rinse out their blenders? Are they going to be going to the back of the house yeah. every single time to rinse out their blenders? Can you give them a small dishwasher to do some quick rinse outs? Um, that awesome little machine that I wish I had from Starbucks where they put their blender on, they push it and it shoots up water and cleans it. That's going to be on my, I don't know, man, that's going to be on like my bucket list for the rest of my life. I love that. Have you tried those before? No, but I see them do it all the time and I'm like, oh, that's so sexy. I was was kind of let down. I don't know if I tried a bad one, but yeah, but I I mean, I have it on there and I press it upside down and it shoots a jet stream of water in there. And a lot of times it just misses like a tiny little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could have, I have a regular sink, not yeah, a hand I'd do sink. Do it better, yeah. I could do it real quick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, having something like that yeah. next to you at station, it, it not only makes you look a lot more efficient when you're making a product, but it shaves off so much time. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So those are just some small things, you know, that you've got to think about. Making sure that people that are standing in line in the front of the house, 
you know, ready to place an order that they're, that line isn't, you know, slowing down the juice line of those regulars that are coming in, they know which juice they're grabbing. There should be different stations, right? Um, having enough space at your register where if you need to take somebody to the side <clears throat> to talk about cleanses, you can do that and keep the line going. Um, so it's, you know, like Ari said, you're not going to think of it all, but if we can help you think through some of the main things that we know are going to be a big, you know, big risk factor for slowing down efficiency or something that DHEC is going to ding you for, then reach out because it'll save you so much time and efficiency in the end. Um, you know, every place is going to have its unique thing, right? Like making sure first, do you, are they going to require you to have a grease trap? You know, making sure you have enough refrigeration, making sure you have enough freezer. Um, like I, a lot of people come to me in the front of the house, they have all refrigeration and I'm like, guys, where, where, where are we going to put our frozens to make smoothies and bowls? Right. Mm -hmm. So inevitably they have to sell one of the fridges and buy a freezer. So I just think, you know, reaching out, um, would make it a lot easier, even if you're just starting small. I think if I were doing this, I would, you know, once I took over a lease, if it's like an empty shell, I'd go in and put tape down and map everything out, like on the floor. Yeah like map out where the counter is, where the refrigerator is, and kind of get a feel for it, make sure it feels right. Mm -hmm. And then also, yeah, like thinking about the flow. Mm -hmm. Okay, someone walks in here in the door, then they walk past this cooler or grab-and-go items, and they order over here, and then they walk to the cash register. If there's a line that's going to form over here, then they can sit down over here, think about the whole flow and everything. Because that becomes yeah, really flows. important. Yeah. And some um, spaces get tired, you know, like I just had a meeting in Southern Press Juicery and I'm like, God, I'm so tired of this space. So, you know, it's been 10 <laughs> years. The space looks tired. It's just like, you know, a car or a house, you need to switch it up sometimes. And, you know, looking at your space kind of with a third, third party next to you and saying like, why isn't our merchandise not selling in this one corner? You know, maybe yeah. it's needs to be moved, freshened up. Maybe it needs to be recategorized. You know, we're moving shelving all around and adding some lights. I mean, that definitely if you've been in it a while, um, you know, freshening, doing a brand refresh or just moving some things around the shop, maybe moving a table from over there to, you know, to the other side of the restaurant. Sometimes that just helps liven the space up. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're always going to be evolving. The main thing is to just make sure, make sure that your efficiency and production front of the house and back of the house is good and that you're not bumping into guests and that there's an easy in and out for guests to, to be able to grab their stuff and go. I mean, everybody needs yeah. their own little space in their station. Yeah. Like, like Charlie mentioned, that flow is so important for sure. And that's, that's kind of like one of the amazing benefits of being able to do this in person day training, you know, just cause I mean, these, these people, even before they're not people that have just opening, but have been in operational for, four or five years and being able to walk in, you know, you're in that operation every single day, you know, and it's so tough to kind of step back and look at the overall operation and flow of everything and just having like a fresh set of eyes or people that have experience from seeing all these different things. Cause you get so many pointers from just working in a different juice bar or being able to observe how they operate. And I mean, it's so surprising, like the smallest little, tweak can save tons and labor operation everything when i uh i first started in doing a a production kitchen where we would do large batches of everything 
you know, like we would do dressings in like 55 gallon batches, you know, or making 55 gallon containers of salad. It's amazing. If you are doing something incorrectly, like the smallest thing on like cutting a tomato, it can add hours of labor. You know, it's insane because it's so magnified. So it's so specialized on doing everything as efficient and quickly as possible, but accurately and no sacrifice in equality. It's crazy. One of my, one of my favorite things to do is to bring on associates that have a lot of experience, um, in the restaurant industry. You know, oftentimes I think with this industry, we find a lot of associates that are young and it's maybe their first or second job. And, um, you know, they've got a long resume in babysitting, but really have never, you know, worked in the restaurant and that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. Right. But for me, it's so much fun to bring in somebody that has experience. I remember Chef Hank's partner, Leslie, came in and worked with us. And she's worked in restaurants since she was like, you know, 15 years old. And I was working the um, smoothie bar with her one time. And she's like, Olivia, can I move the trash can? And I was like, yeah, do whatever you need, man. (laughs) You know, she moved the trash can from behind us. She separated two of our, um, the freezer the freezer and the fridge, the worktops that we were working on. And she, she slid them apart and she put the trash can in between the two workstations. And she was like, I- I'm getting dizzy having to turn around every two seconds to throw my mm. trash away, whether it was a banana peel or an acai, whatever, you know, package. And she's like, if it was just right here next to us, we could just throw it away as we go. Or like, as you're prepping, cutting, dicing strawberries or, you know, cucumbers or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> has nobody ever done that before? I mean, this simplest thing. I mean, another thing is, is like, you know, all of our, what we call stickies, right? Like our agave, our maple, our honey, our almond butter that are all in squeegee bottles. They're all over the place, right? Like I'll grab it and then she'll grab it. And then they all look the same. They have to be labeled. She put them just in a little plastic container, um, you know, that was going, what was held like in the sandwich prep station. And they, now they had a home instead of just floating squeegee bottles around. I mean, just the dumbest thing that I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's beautiful. Like, thank you for giving that thing a home. Right. And it's always right there where everybody knows it's going to be. It's just, I don't know, to me, those are always like reorganizing and finding a home for things and being more efficient, um, is always like the fun of it. Yeah. It feels good. After you just rearrange things and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, it's just improved everything about 1%, you know? Yeah, I mean, lattes is something that takes us a long time. I mean, Chef, I know know, like some of the recipes for lattes, you know, particularly if they're a superfood latte and they've got like, let's say it's a golden milk and it's got black pepper and turmeric and cayenne and, you know, whatever. And there's several of them and they're all like a quarter teaspoon. My God, that takes so long every time somebody orders a latte to go a quarter Mm. teaspoon with six or seven different ingredients annoys the crap out of me. So, you know, we started doing all of the bases, the powdered dry goods of every lattes and little cups. And so you could just, it was doing mm. side work prep. And so if somebody ordered, opened, a, ordered a golden latte, you would just open the golden latte prep cup and dump it in. And then, you know, now you've, you've saved two or three minutes on every single latte. Then you could just reuse them and you make sure you're portioned out perfectly. And I, there's little things like that, that not, so not to joy. mention the staff isn't <laughs> constantly like checking some list, like how much of this do I put in? Right. Right. And when you do five or six of them and you're doing it by memory and you're like, wait, did I put turmeric in there or is that cayenne? Like it's, you know, once right. it's in the blender, it's hard to tell. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. just having it already done just um, eliminates a lot of 
waste a lot of excess food cost and time, obviously. Uh, speaking of juice bar equipment, we have a question, a Facebook group from Tracy. What are the necessary supplies that are needed in a juice bar slash smoothie bar? My commercial space already has refrigerators and freezers, sinks, etc. Just trying to make a list and I don't want to miss anything. So other than the obvious stuff, Ari, what do you think is like must have or might need? It has refrigeration, but doesn't have the proper refrigeration, you know, because stuff like smoothies, if you have like a reach in uh, something like that, it might not be practical for a smoothie. You know, you need something like uh, call them sandwich prep carts or the drop ins. Just investing on the proper equipment will save you tons from it breaking down or labor making it more efficient so make sure you have the proper equipment first and i mean go through the steps for a smoothie i mean you need blenders you need a sink what kind of blender are you making acai bowls or smoothie bowls are you going to need one with a pusher or one that has a screen that goes over it to uh mute the volume uh just just give us a call and we'll we'll go through it just yeah. we'll, i mean for we'll go me through I step by step you know, I think and, it's and easier sure to, everything. to do like a large equipment list and then a small wares list, right? Yeah. Because if not, it just gets overwhelming. So obviously like the large equipment list is easier to do because that's the big stuff, right? You need a juicer, you need blenders, you need extra blender. Um, what are they called? Extra blender. Blender tops. Um, pitchers. Containers, tops. pitchers. Yeah. Tans. You know, you need tamps. Um, yeah. You know, you need you need a hotel sheet pans to freeze your bananas, like, you know, stuff like that. And then you go to a small, a small wares list and you're thinking about pairing knives and cooking board, cutting boards and, you know, um, whisks and squeegee bottles and stuff like that. Right. Rags and stuff. And then, you know, you do the same thing in the back of the house. Like, where am I going to store my dry goods? I need plastic. You know, where am I going to put the juice after I'm making a crap ton of juice? You need you know, a Cambro or you need probably a Cambro with a, <clears throat> with a nozzle on it so you can bottle it more easily. Um, you know, I mean, like chef said, it's almost easier to just call us and we'll send you a list, yeah. but, I um, mean, it just, it's going to depend on your menu too. Right. Not a lot of people realize I mean, you have that free consultation. Yeah. Call in, use that up. We'll run through the menu. We'll run through the equipment real quick. Yeah get you on your way you know yeah because what's going to happen is if we try to list every single thing here i'm going to hang up and be like oh, i forgot to mention the, <laughs> the what do y'all think about thing but how important is it to have to serve coffee at a juice bar gosh this comes up all the time for me i like to do something that's unique to the brand right that that is I'm not in an espresso vanilla latte kind of shop. There's great coffee shops next to me that specialize in that. Um, but I think you need to offer something. So for me, it fits in better with my brand to do like a, um, a superfood latte. So maybe you offer like an E3 Live Blue Magic Latte, a raw cacao chocolate, um, hot chocolate or Mexican hot chocolate or golden milk or a matcha. You know, and you can offer those cold or hot. Um, I try to use like a local <clears throat> well-known coffee brand and I just buy their, um, cold brew extract. 
Um, I mean, there are people that do both. I think it really depends on, are you more of a juice bar or are you more of a wellness cafe? Because to me, those are two different things. Um, but that's a, that's an area where I would say it's always best to really co-brand with another strong brand in your community. Like everybody has a really great coffee shop, you know, can you get their beans or their, um, like I said, their cold brew extract. And then that's easy to just add that into your, into your lattes or into milks too. I mean, we do it both on the bar and then we do it in bottles as well. Yeah, I, I love coffee, so I think Me it's too. a must. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> if if you're you're against coffee, then there's nothing nothing wrong with that. Uh, I mean, just something simple. You know, have uh, a great quality partner up with someone locally. There's so <laughs> many different roasteries around. You know, offer some cold brew, incorporating your plant based milks to make lattes. Or I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's nice in the winter too, you know, I mean, in the winter you start to lose a, a little bit of sales, obviously on the cold items, everybody wants something warm and you don't want to just lose that sale. So, I mean, I would say just stay in your lane, you know, look up some good recipes for, um, lattes that are incorporating ingredients that are already in your juice bar that you're maybe using mm -hmm. in, in other recipes. And then just, you know, I, I'm actually seeing a lot of people do ciders, which is funny because that's like what good nature started on, but um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> a lot of my clients out Midwest, they're like, I mean, getting crazy price on apples, um, and doing yep. a lot of hot ciders. That's always popular for us doing a nice, like water lemon tonic. I mean, you're just printing cash on that, you know? So thinking about the food costs there and making sure you're not sort of reinventing the wheel, but using things that you already have in the juice bar to make sure you can at least capture that, that warm menu item. Yeah. What is what is wrong with coffee? Like I know there's there's a few people that aren't that are like I I won't serve coffee and stuff, but I I was never 100% understanding why. Well, I think there's there's a lot of coffees out there like the mainstream coffees that have a lot of toxins in them and they're, you know, yeah. over um what's the word? Over um processed. Treated. The acidity is yeah, over processed, yeah. a lot of like okay. really high acidity and messes with your gut and all that stuff. So I think, you know, there's so much on the market right now that you could, you know, mushroom coffee is super hot right now. You know, can you start to incorporate adaptogens like wildcrafted or create your own or, you know, Terrasol has some great options there. Um, there's so much that I think you can really capture a coffee person um, who's there for a meeting. I mean, listen, you're not going to convert the Star Starbucks people. I mean, that's just not who it is. But if it's just me who wants something warm in the morning and maybe get a little bit of caffeine, um, then you've got something for them and you're not going to lose that sale. Yeah. I would think business-wise, I mean, my thought has always been buying a coffee machine and serving coffee is just such a good return on investment. And if there are people that just want a coffee, now you're not, if you don't have coffee, you don't have anything for them. Um, so they won't even come into your store, you know, but if you have coffee and juice, maybe they'll come and buy coffee and a juice. So I, I always thought it seemed like pretty much no brainer, but I know there's a lot of juice bars that don't serve coffee. Okay. We can move on. Um, let's talk about juice pop. We have a voicemail here from Rebecca. Oops. That's not it. <laughs> Come on, Rebecca. Hey, Good Nature Radio. This is Rebecca from Electric Life Juices. 
I wanted to send in this voice recording to see if you guys have any cool ideas of how to repurpose juice pulp, whether it be at home or how to reuse it and make it profitable within our business. I'd love to hear of any of your creative ideas. Thank you, guys. Let's you start, Ari, with this one. Oh, by the way, I love her juice bar name. What is it? Electric. What did she Electric say? Electric Life, I think. Yeah, Electric Life. That's awesome. It's cute. <clears throat> yeah, pulp is uh always gets talked about for sure. There's uh a lot that goes into pulp too. I mean, the easiest route for sure at the bare minimum, donate it to a farm. You know, they're always looking for stuff like that. Uh chicken feed. It's amazing for chickens. I mean, they love that stuff. I know personally, just be able to save a bunch and drop it off, they go they go crazy for it. They'll eat it, and they'll produce tons of eggs, especially now. Uh, but, I mean, you got to look at it different categories. You know, you have your your actual juice blends, the sweet stuff. You have the savory green stuff. So I kind of would break those down in different categories on how to repurpose that. A lot, of the, a lot of the pulp you can use in, you know, I've heard of people make breads with them. There's those crackers where they you, you need it's basically just dry pulp there's there's nothing really in it flavorless so you can incorporate some some superfood some flavorings in there and uh be able to dehydrate that and turn it into a cracker you know add that value back in that was just extracted uh that's a great option we we have some great recipes that we worked with for <clears throat> like a, a nut milk where we turn that pulp into a pesto, that recipe, I personally use that all the time. It's it's a great recipe. One of the most expensive ingredients is the pine nuts in a, a traditional pesto. So you're able to replace that with all your pulp uh, from the nut milk. You know, we, we even have a, uh, a carrot-based juice pulp recipe to make your carrot muffins. There's tons of different kind of like zucchini style loaves you can make with uh you know your green juice blends but yeah there's tons of options to be able to explore and experiment with uh but at the very minimum donate it just don't throw it out this is the i'm showing on my screen this is the pesto recipe that i already made here Really good stuff. And then we also have a very popular recipe, these vegan dog treats. Oh, yeah. Um, these are great. You just add a couple of things to them, and you can make these dog treats out of them, which is cool. And I think this is a great add-on, like grab-and-go item for a juice bar as well, um, for people that have pets. And I also just wanted to share... So there's this company, Pulp Pantry, which... Um, I had them speak at JuiceCon the first year. And their whole business model is they take juice pulp from juice companies in LA and they make these chips out of them, which is pretty neat. Um, The problem with juice pulp is that there's so much of it. So even if you're like making dog treats and making pesto and stuff, it's like how, how much dog treats and pesto can you make to sell, right? Yeah. I mean, it it becomes a problem. So then you end up composting it. Um, You know, if you're getting it picked up by a commercial composter, that's probably not as good as working with a local farm 
and composting it that way. Our friend Nori Ko, who we had on this podcast in the beginning, he actually composts the pulp and then sells it in packages in his juice bar in like these little wooden, uh, uh, sorry, little cardboard containers so people can take the compost home and use it in their own garden. I think that's pretty cool. I love that idea. Yeah, that's pretty cool. There, I, um, I, I will say from a um, operation standpoint, um, donating to a local farm does present challenges. Um, what happens is inevitably it'll be somebody who has limited resources, who can only come and pick up the compost or, you know, the, the pulp once or twice a week. So mm. they'll bring you containers, you fill it up. And then if you have a little back of the house, like I do, it only takes banging your knee on that dang pulp container four or five <laughs> times a week. And then you realize like, this is taking up space where my apples need to go. This is taking up space where my bottles need to go. And so um, they will give you like, oh, we'll come back on Tuesday and Friday, right? But then when they come back, if you don't have enough pulp for them, which is never really the case because you always have, so you only don't have enough pulp because you've been annoyed because you've been holding on to pulp for so long and now you're getting like flies, then they'll be like, we can only come if you fill up these eight buckets. Well, yeah. the eight buckets are great until they're filled up and they're stacked on top of each other and they're taking up all this room. And so it really is, unless you have a beautiful, huge back of the house, it can be a huge pain in the butt. I mean, I, we tried so hard. We even tried like delivering it. We had a worm farm that would come and pick it up. And then they would call and they would say, ah, oh, we actually can't make it today. We've got to come next week. And we're like, mm -hmm. okay, we're sitting on eight huge containers, huge containers of pulp. I mean, it just becomes very annoying. Um, and it's one of those things that you think it's going to work out beautifully and then it never really does. But, um, I, for us, we did like, we did granola for our uh, almond milk pulp and that's always been really good. And we turn around and use that in our smoothie bars. Yeah. The problem is just, just so much of it, right? When you're running a right. juice bar, it's like, if you're just yeah. using it at home, whatever, um, you can find uses for it, but really hard to find uses for it. And also, though, I think people feel guilty, right? Like just composting it commercially or throwing it away um, because they feel like they're throwing away all this food. But the truth is, after you press it on a real press, a like good nature, you, you're getting almost everything out of it except for the insoluble fiber. The stuff that, honestly, you just poop out, right? When you eat this stuff. So it's like, I don't know how much food you're really wasting. Um, it's really just the skins and the seeds and the insoluble fiber left. So I don't, I don't think juice bars would feel guilty if they're trying to find uses for it, but they have so much that they can't deal with it. You know, I, I think it's okay just, just to compost and, you know, you've got yeah, to I mean, or trash it if composting isn't, isn't an option. Yeah. I mean, I think that honestly, the one that, that is the easiest to play with is the ones from the almonds. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, comes yeah. out really, oh, God, I love the texture after they've juiced almonds in my shop. I like, I'll sit there and play with it. It's almost like that, um, that kinetic sand like sticks together. I don't know. I really mm -hmm. love it because yeah. it's just <laughs> an awesome texture, but, um, that for me is the easiest one to make like dog biscuits out of, you know, depending on if they can have almonds, but granolas, you know, that one is, isn't as like 
stinky and it just i don't know it stores better that's to me the easiest one yeah man let let some kale pulp sit around for a couple days yeah it smells so bad even even after like 24 hours it reeks cannot deal yeah i've made some uh protein bites with the with the pulp too from the almond milk works great yeah there was a there was a grocery store i'm trying to remember the name it was like midwest somewhere and they had this really expensive machine that they were just starting out it was brand new equipment and basically it would burn all of it and create energy for the whole store hmm. it was a new grocery store concept it was hmm. it's pretty cool i gotta look it up and see how that's doing but basically chef like after you press the almonds what you've created is like almond meal like almond flour yeah mm-hmm. it is you know, so like just turn around and use that. Um, again, going back to equipment, we use a hot box um, or like a large dehydrator to to bake our things, but it's basically almond meal. Yeah, I suspect like if you buy almond flour at the store, I suspect that's what's going on. They're like extracting the oils and stuff out for almond yeah. milk and then selling the sort of waste, you know, and that's sort of what you're buying. I think that's probably yeah. what's going on. It yeah. literally is almond flour. As far as I know, um, yeah. yeah, and that's that's a lot easier to use. I mean, the the problem with the the vegetable pulp is it doesn't taste like anything after you take all the juice yeah. out of it. So to even get it to taste good, you've got to add a bunch of stuff back in. Like if you're doing chips, you have to add seasoning and salt and stuff, and um, to make it even and, taste and, like anything. And certain stuff, if you if you're not peeling them, you know, like pineapple skins in there. Mm. probably can't use that for another application too but yeah yeah all right we've got one question from the facebook group from Lindsay. if you sell energy balls or bliss balls can you share a pic showing how you package to sell right now we have them in a mini cupcake liner and a plate and sell individually rather than a group i'm thinking of changing our packaging so olivia do you do you sell this kind of stuff in your store yeah we do we um Sometimes we'll make them into balls or we'll flatten them and, you know, try a different shape. But we use probably four or six ounce um, plastic, almost like a sandwich. I don't remember the exact name of it, but it's almost like a a sandwich um, container. We'll just use a smaller one and stick a nice pretty label on the front of it. And you can probably store four to six of them in there. I definitely think you get more bang for your buck selling four to six at a time than one a piece. Um, and those have a really great shelf life. So that's, that's something that, and like macaroons and donuts, like that's something that I would really package together, um, and do a few at a time. Cool. All right. Pro tip. All right, go. Pro tip. So mine is talking about your juice menu. There's a lot of different things you need to focus on when creating a juice menu, but one of the most important aspects that I think is often overlooked is the progression of sweet fruit base to your pure vegetable blends. You know, it's extremely important to have that progression, have something for each category along the way. You have to take yourself out of it. I've worked for some people that were really adamant. I don't want any fruit in those juice blends. I don't want any certain like categories and skip over it. You got to take yourself out of the equation. You got to make sure you have that full range of flavor uh, because you might have people new to juicing. You want to have them be able to jump in and try something 
they're comfortable with trying. Uh, if they try something that's too savory, you're, you're not going to gain a customer that way. So always have that natural progression because people that drink juice over time, they start avoiding the sweet stuff and start incorporating more and more vegetables uh, mm-hmm. the longer they juice. And so it's important to have those steps. And in that middle area, it's kind of where I focus based on the demographic. You know, so if people are familiar with juices, I lean a little more towards the the savory stuff, the more vegetable blends. If they're new to juicing. That's where I have some unique colors, uh, sweeter flavors, uh, just to make it more approachable. And don't go too over the top with all these different adaptogens and stuff like that. Uh, there, there's another category for people that are new to juicing. I don't know if I've talked about it before, but it's really kind of this weird thing is they're attracted to unnatural colors, you know? So mm-hmm. you have something that's vibrant, purple, blue, you know, pink, they're going to gravitate towards that. Something that's not natural looking. It's kind of those weird things, but have something like that for them and then hit the rest of the categories. So progression in your juice menu, very important. It's super important that if somebody, let's say somebody is interested in becoming healthier and they walk into your juice bar. They never thought they'd like green juice, but they're giving it a shot. They decide to try it and then they don't like it. You may have just ruined the chances that that person actually like becomes a customer, becomes healthier and shares experience with their friends and stuff. So I totally agree that you need to have items that are approachable by not just hardcore juicers, right? Because just because you've been into juicing for 10 years and you only like hardcore stuff doesn't mean your customers are that way too. So I totally agree with that. I think it's a good tip. Olivia, you got a pro tip? Yeah. And, and actually I'm going to go on the same line as chef Ari. One thing that I'm seeing a lot of juice bars come forward with is very simple recipes. And they're come to us with two or three or four recipes that have one ingredient difference, right? So they'll come with like an apple, lemon, ginger, and I'm looking at their menu and I'm trying to help them create a cleanse or, you know, decide what we're going to take out, what we need to add, if they need to work with Ari, whatever. And I'm looking and I'm like, okay, let's put this into categories. Let's do a sweet greens, a medium greens and advanced greens, citrus, roots, milks. Let's kind of put them into categories and see where we land, right? That's always where I start. And we'll start going through the menu and it'll be like apple, lemon, ginger, apple, lemon, ginger, carrot, apple, lemon, ginger, cucumber. And I'm like, this is the same recipe. (laughs) Just one. It's like going to a Mexican restaurant and you like have six or seven pages of quesadillas and burritos and they're all the same. Only one has like queso crema, you know, queso crema and one has you know, guac and one doesn't. And I'm like, this is the same thing over and over and over again. Like this is not, there's no variance or they'll come and they'll have two carrots and I'll say, okay, well, I don't know that you really need two carrot juices. Which of these is the most popular? Oh, well, it's a toss up. It's carrot, lemon, ginger, or it's carrot, apple, lemon, ginger. And I'm like, you Mm -hmm. are, you're dividing the same customer into. So they're not going to buy both of them because it's the same juice essentially. So what you're doing, the reason why they're 50-50 is because Shafari is coming in and he likes carrot. And one day he buys the apple carrot ginger. And the next day he comes in and he buys the apple carrot lemon ginger. It's the same Mm -hmm. person. 
you're not you're not creating a different um you know he's not buying two of them and you're not luring anybody into that category so you're you're just basically splitting them in two so you know narrow that down to a one carrot that's maybe a little bit um you know has a better food cost or is a little more interesting but like chef said you have to have a progression but you also have to make sure that you're not just doing the same thing over and over and over again you shouldn't have three or four variations of an apple cider people there should be one apple cider you know and then you go into something a little more sophisticated that veers you into another category um i just think that's really important um you know and then they're pricing an apple lemon ginger at $9 the same $9 that they're pricing a 10 or 11 ingredient deep recipe of dark mm -hmm. leafy greens and it's just devaluing you know the one that has 9 or 10 ingredients and it just doesn't make sense to the consumer your menu shouldn't be all one price all one flavor there should be like Chef said, a great progression of it, varying flavors and varying prices as well. I've seen that with nut milks as well. Some, sometimes their nut milk options will seem very crowded and kind of mm. ambiguous, like here's almond milk with dates and cacao. Here's almond milk with dates and vanilla. Here's whatever, right. you know, yeah. it's like. Yeah, make very a vanilla, similar. chocolate, and a strawberry or a vanilla, chocolate, yeah. and a matcha, you know. You want to really balance it. Like you want to have it just complicated enough where I can't make that at home. I got to get it from you guys, but yep. not too complicated where it looks for like a health food store. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's not fun. Which just gets confusing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I think, you know, sampling is so important. You know, I mean eight out of 10 of the juices, they probably wouldn't pick up at a $10 price point and be like, mm, I'm going to try that today. And maybe I'll like it. And maybe I won't. But if you sample it out after two or three juices, you'll really get a feel for that guest's palate and be like, okay, they really like savory or these people are sweet and all they want is sweet. They're coming off a Gatorade sort of guest. So, you know, sampling will help you make sure that they're happy about their purchase that, you know, maybe they find two or three that they like instead of one that they were taking a chance on and maybe is going to hate. Um, that should be an important part of, of the process, going yeah. back to the layout of, of the store, making sure that the point of sale is next to the juices and that there's, you know, enough staff on hand to sample it out, that you've got little sample cups by the register. You, you know, about that, like sampling, I, I love when juice bars, they have like, they, they have those little souffle cups, dressing containers, whatever you want to call it. Yeah in their refrigerator with those the actual juice there so i mean there's a lot of people that don't want to just keep asking for three or four samples you know so it's a great way to have it in that fridge where they can just go up pop one of those open and try it on their mm -hmm. own time you know and not just wait for can i try this one can i try this one you know so i think that's a great thing to offer especially when you're making large batches of juice and you have that half bottle at the end you don't know what to do. Just pour in those containers and put on display fridge and let anyone just come up and sample it on their own time too. It's, I love that aspect. Yeah, that's a great idea. I've never done it in the fridge. I always just put it in a, in another bottle, label it a sample and then have a separate sample fridge where we're sampling that out. But that's a great idea to just have it in the fridge and let people grab it themselves. You know, There's people that are, yeah. that don't want to just yeah. keep asking for samples, you know, when you go to an mm -hmm. ice cream shop. Yeah, usually not me. feel I embarrassed after the third sample, you know. Like, no. like, can I try that I one again? Keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. uh, my pro tip 
Olivia, you and I were talking about web development earlier. Yeah. That's kind of my specialty. I think um, a lot of people underestimate the importance of the actual content. Like they'll hire a web developer and a designer and all this stuff. And look, yeah, it looks great. And then it comes time for like, okay, time to put your photos in and they don't have any, or it's just some photos. They just kind of like candidly shot or something without thinking about it too much. And then the website comes out not looking great. So say if you're launching a website, definitely pay attention to the content and take it very seriously. Um, Sometimes the difference between a good website and a bad site website is literally just the content. It's the photos and, and the yeah. and the pictures and the words and all that stuff. Because usually yeah. the client has to provide that stuff, the customer, not the web developer or designer. Um, so that's something you should definitely take seriously and think about, I think, if you're investing in a new website. Yeah, and not to sales pitch, but um, we're starting to do that for clients as well and Good Nature Consulting. So we're starting to... Um, help clients, you know, after they've built their brand, or maybe they come to us with a brand already built, um, create a website for them that integrates with their point of sale system and um, really thinks all the way through exactly the framework of, of what they need. So if you're looking for help for your juice bar, reach out to us and see if we can be of help. Yeah. If, if the idea of launching an e-commerce website to sell your juice seems scary, um, we'll do everything for you from the design, uh, shooting photography, launching the website, integrating it with your juice bar. We can handle all that for you. So I'm pretty excited about that package as well. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Um, have a great weekend. And I'll see you guys in a couple. Hi, guys. Thank you, guys. Baby, say, oh, it's the way I make my juice. Pressing fruits and roots. This week I did it my way Baby say oh Now let's have some fun There is nothing greater Than Fridays at Good Nature